Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. We're going to continue this series. I want to read something fascinating to you. You guys, did you, how many of you had to memorize the preamble of the Declaration of Independence in school? What is our school system coming to? We don't do this anymore? I had to memorize it and stand in front of people and say it, right? You know this? And it go, there's this, a section that says this. Some of you can go along with me. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit for this nation that we all inhabit says that one of the foundational things about our lives is that we are inherently able to have a pursuit of happiness. And one of the things that we, we, we would say this is even a right, and what I think has happened in our country because we have said this is one of the three things, the unalienable rights that we have, is the pursuit of happiness, is we have elevated happiness to an ideal above most things. In our country, we have elevated happiness above most things. Now, this, this is all over the place, right? You see this, right? If you've ever seen an interview with, with a parent or you've ever had a conversation with a parent and you're like, what do you want for your kids? And most of the time, what do people say? I just want them to grow up to be happy, Right? My adult children, what do you want for your children? Now, I always say I want them to love Jesus and follow Jesus. But a lot of people say I want them to be happy. Let them do whatever they want that makes them happy. We've elevated this really high, right? And so people spend their whole lives trying to be happy. People will get married because it will make them happy. People will take jobs and careers because it will make them happy. People will get pets, not me, but people... (laughs) Get pet. My, my kids want a cat now. My wife, is, it's a non-starter. That's it. So, uh, but, but people will get pets because they think it will make them happy. It's a pursuit of happiness. And no matter how happy people are, they always want to be happier. Show of hands, how many of you want to be happier than you are today? Most of you. Most of you want, the rest of you are either asleep or you are like next to godliness. You're like right next to Jesus. Uh, you're <laughs> but this desire to be happier is the drive of most of our marketing, is it not? Just think about it. You too can have a truck that looks like a, uh, like a, a, a stealth bomber. And if you have this electric truck that looks like a stealth bomber that doesn't show up on radar, you will be happier. Some of you are like, what is that you're talking about? This in these Tesla trucks? That looks like, a, like an amusement park ride. Um, but if you have this truck, you will be happier, right? You, you know, you can call 407 W Disney and book the vacation that will make your whole family happier. And broke. That's fair. That's completely fair. Right? But if you just have this brand of shoes or you buy this brand of clothing, you will be happier. If you just invest with this investment firm, we will make you happier. 
This is the pursuit of our lives. And so much of our difficulty is that we're really bad at deciding what will make us happy. We're really, really, really bad at it. We, we, we decide that there are things that will make us happy, and as soon as they don't, we decide we want to make a change. This no longer makes me happy. People think about relationships that way, right? People think, oh, I got married and we were so happy, but then we're not happy anymore. I guess we should get divorced because the goal is happiness. People will, will buy a certain product, and, and, and when the product changes or they don't sell the, the one little kind that, that I used to buy, I'm not happy anymore. I switch brands. If you go to the restaurant that you always go to, your favorite restaurant, and they stop serving flour tortillas, I'm assuming it's a Mexican restaurant, they've stopped serving the same flour tortillas. And you say, well, I'm not, this restaurant's not making me happy anymore. I'm going to go somewhere else. It's all about happiness, and we're just not good at deciding what makes us happy. One of the major issues in this pursuit of happiness is that happiness is an emotion. Happiness is an emotion. An emotion is an internal response that your body sort of uh, creates based on the meaning that it has made of an experience. So if I give you a present and you open it and you discover that inside the present is the thing you've always wanted, you might feel happy for a minute. Because, wow, I got you that thing that you always wanted. You made a meaning of the thing that I gave you, and it created happiness. See, we've elevated feelings of happiness to one of the highest ideals in our society. Those of you who have been through Emotionally Focused know this quote from Dallas Willard. It says, feelings are good servants, but they're disastrous masters. In other words, feelings tell us something. But you can't let them have made happiness a feeling, one of the primary drivers. Is it any wonder that so much of our society is so fickle and f just floating all about and has no like real direct uh, path? Is it any wonder that people are just all over the place? And per perhaps the more important question and the one I want to answer today is, is there something that you can actually build stability on? If happiness is fleeting, you feel it for a moment, it's a dopamine hit when you get the chocolate bar that you liked, I'm happy for a minute. If that's fleeting, is there something more stable that Jesus offers us? We started this series a few weeks ago called uh, for the sake of the lost. And Advent is this season, I told you uh, that Advent is the season in the church calendar where we look back and we remember that Jesus has come. And so then we look forward with anticipation to the reality that Jesus will come again. And this creates a season for us of hope, but one of longing. It's a season where we long for the fulfillment of what we've been promised. And so we started the first week uh, the second week we talked about hope. Last week, ta Evan talked about how we can have peace in the midst of chaos. And what I want to talk about today is how Jesus offers us something more stable than happiness. Jesus offers us joy. So I'm calling this message, I want to be a person of joy. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to look at, at Scripture.
So Lord, I do just welcome you into this space. And Lord, we trust you. We have seen you moving. And so Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts today with joy. That you would give us something eternal today. God, I pray that you would speak through me that these words uh, would adequately represent what it is that you want to say today. Fill me with your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys want to play a fun game? I'm, who's, who's so excited? I'm, I'm, so, I'm glad. I'm so glad. We're going to play a game. This will be really, really fun. Um, I want you to turn with me to the psalm that we, um, that we read at the very beginning. It's Psalm 126. So if you flop your Bible to... Halfway. Is that not the word I'm supposed to use? Flop your Bible? It's floppy. Psalm 126. And I want to sort of clarify some things that maybe would be confusing if you don't understand them when we read this passage. This passage is written uh, uh, by the Israelites, and the Israelites are this group of people that Testament, he rescues them from slavery in Egypt, and he says, you're going to represent me to the world so that the world will know what I'm like. Um, and so he gives them this land, and, he, uh, and in the land, they build this temple to the God of Israel in, in Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, they have this, this temple that gets referred to as Zion often. So the city of Jerusalem gets referred to as Zion. The temple gets referred to as Zion. So in the Old Testament, when you run across the word Zion, sometimes it ends up meaning the people of Israel. Very rarely. Most of the time it means the temple or the city of Jerusalem or our place. So they show up in this place, and that's going to be important because in the passage the word Zion shows up. But after they live there for a little while... They begin to do the same thing that was done to them. They begin to oppress people, mistreat them. And so God starts to send prophets to, uh, to the nation to say, hey, you guys are going the wrong way. So the prophets start warning the nation of Israel. It's like, hey, you're not doing things the way that we intend. And so after a while, nothing changes, but the prophet's message begins to change. And so after a while, the prophet's message now is not, hey, you're going the wrong way. The prophet's message turns to judgment is going to come. You have not listened. Judgment is going to come. And eventually what ends up happening is the nation of Israel gets uh, exiled uh, to faraway land. They go back into captivity. But the prophet said, hey, you will one day come back. God has spoken. You will one day come back to this land. And so uh, about 70 years later, through some very miraculous uh, means, the, the nation of Israel is allowed to return to their homeland. And so the context of this passage is a people who were in captivity who have arrived back in their homeland and they're surveying how it doesn't look like it used to. That's the context of the passage. They're remembering this move that God just did in getting us home they're looking around and they're saying, this doesn't feel right. Now, here's the game. Here's the fun game. I told you I was going to have a game. So, a lot of times we read this word joy and we miss what actually is happening. Okay? Some of you are like, oh no, what's he about to do? It's going to be fun. The word joy is not a feeling. It's largely an expression. So, the word rejoice is an expression of joy. 
So joy internal, if you hold joy in, you kind of are doing a disservice to joy. Joy is actually intended to be expressed in rejoicing. So the game we're going to play, and in the Old Testament, in the word uh, joy, is largely coupled a lot of times with the word shout. Some of you know the game we're about to play. Shouts of joy, okay? All right, I'll just say what the game is. We're going to read this passage, and when I get to the word joy, I want you to shout. Some of you don't seem near as excited about this as I am. So we're going to practice. We're going to start with this side. We'll see, how, we'll see who wins, okay? So if I say the word joy... Okay, we'll come... We'll, what about you guys? If I say the word joy... Okay, you get another chance. Joy... Joy, joy, you guys are great. This is going to be fun. This is going to be so fun. All right, Psalm 126, remember what we just learned. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Man, it's amazing. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with them. Was that fun? Did you get your blood pumping a little bit, sort of? If that gets your blood pumping, never mind, never mind. I'm learning. I'm learning to hold in the things that I will say and then regret later. My wife is not in this room. She would be very, very happy with me. A couple weeks ago, I talked about hope, and hope and joy are closely related. I love it. The whole rest of the time. The whole rest. Hey, hey, I am okay with that. I'm okay with that. And what I said is that biblical hope is a belief in in the promise that is to come based on past experience, right? Do you remember this? So what I said is we can trust God in the future because we have seen God act in the past, and so we know his word is good. If we've never seen him act, it's just pie in the sky. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But hope is actually a certainty because we know that the one who has promised the future has acted in the present and in the past. And so we can have hope. This is the idea of biblical hope. And God had promised Israel that they would be back in the land. Seventy years prior, the prophets had said, you will be back. And of course, you know, after 70 years, I don't know, I mean, most of us haven't counted 70 years yet. But after 70 years, you begin to think, I don't know if this is ever going to happen. And then in a moment, things shift, and God returns the people to their land. And it says, we were like those who dreamed. Like, I think we're dreaming. This doesn't feel like it's really happening. This seems so improbable, it doesn't feel like it's actually happening. We're we're like dreaming. And so based on that action, based on the nation of Israel seeing God's action, when they arrive in their homeland and they look around and they say, this looks terrible. 
fields. Nobody has managed the fields for 70 years. And they arrive and they're like, but this doesn't look like it should. It's not a moment for happiness. But because of the activity that they have seen, they hope for what God will do. And the product is joy. There you go. There you go. You forgot already. Forgot already. That's okay. Israel's hope in this situation is based on their understanding that God had acted in their lives. He had brought them back. And so they said, well, we can trust his word. If hope is certainty in the future, based on past experience, joy, joy then is the, yeah, I'm going to have to, well, unshun. All right. Reshun, no. Pause on it for a minute. Otherwise, I'm going to fall apart. Um, if, if hope is certainty in the future promises based on present and past experience, then joy is the stabilizing effect of well-placed hope. Meaning if you have placed your hope in the right things, things that actually are trustworthy, joy is the natural byproduct. So how do we begin to be people who live joyfully? I saw this article, and I want to read it to you mostly because I thought it was hilarious. Maybe you won't find it as funny. Too much setup. Too much setup. Ten Steps to Mastering the Art of Joyful Living. This was the article. Found it online, so you know it's true. Just kidding. In this article, it gave ten suggestions. You ready for these? Number one, this is uh, the Mastering the Art of Joyful Living. Number one, bring silence and stillness into your life. You have kids, so you, you know that doesn't work, right? But, but this is saying, hey, your life is too loud, and if you want to have joy, what you really need to do is bring silence and stillness into it. Then you'll... The reason you don't have joy, apparently, is because your house is a mess. And so if you would clean your house, maybe you could have some joy. This, listen, some of you are like, is this the actual point? Is this what you're really saying? No. Number three, this is one of my favorites, mind your own business. The reason you don't have joy is because you stick your nose in everyone else's business and they don't like it. But if you would mind your own business, you would be able to have joy. Number four, are we having fun yet? Good. Give to others what you feel like you are lacking. Okay. If I'm lacking in joy, how do you give that? Number five, use your senses. So be present to where you are. Smell, taste, touch, all those things. Number six, recognize what is working. You know, like get rid of that negativity, turn that frown upside down. Lots of good things are happening in your life. Just remember that and you'll be joyful. Number seven, live in forgiveness. That one's actually a pretty good one, I think. Number eight, learn from life experiences. Number nine, be pleasant. And then number 10, this sort of begs the question, right? Live into joy. If this is mastering the art of living in joy, I don't know how you can make that one of the points. In one way or another, and I say all these things because I want to bring it all together here. In one way or another, every recommendation on the internet, most of them, have to do with all of the external circumstances. What they say is the reason you don't have joy is because of all the stuff out there. And if you could just manage all the circumstances, get the environment right, then naturally you would just be a joyful person. 
By the way, this is how people think about peace, right? If I could just get all those negative people out of my life, if I could just cut off all those people who irritate me, then I'll have peace. It's the way people think about love. If you were more lovable, then I could love you. I could be a loving person if you would just be who you're supposed to be. That's how people think about this. Is we say, well, if I can just get all of the external circumstances right, then I can have joy. The problem with managing circumstances outside of you is you don't have control over most of them. Stuck in that cycle of thought, you're probably somebody who people experience as fairly controlling. Any control freaks? Own it. Because what you're trying to do when you do that is go, if y'all will be right, I can have joy, right? If y'all will be right, I can have peace. If y'all will be right, I can be happy. Even if it were within your control, even if you actually could manage that, how does that work for you guys? Does it work pretty well? Doesn't work at all? Okay, cool. Even if you could manage all of the circumstances around you in order to create the perfect environment to be joyful, the exhaustion of trying to manage that many things all at one time would deplete any joy that got created. It would suck the joy right out of it because it would be so exhausting. You see, if you want to live in joy, if you want to be someone who's not constantly swayed this way by happiness and then swayed this way by sadness and swayed all over the place like everybody around you, if you want to be somebody who is stable, the way you do that is not to manage all of the circumstances around you. The way you do that is to put hope in something that deserves hope. The way you do that is to anchor your soul in something that's trustworthy. To actually begin to put, hope, put your hope in something that's worth it. So that's the question that moves us to the question, what can truly give me joy? What's worth putting my hope in? A couple weeks ago, what I said is the meaning of the word hope, wish it would happen someday, or let me dream of it. I can take possible. The biblical understanding of hope is like, no, this is a certainty. I can take it to the bank. Even though it hasn't happened yet, I know it will because I have seen God do it already. And his word is good, so he will come through. You can trust that God will be faithful in the future because he's proven to be faithful in the past. A well-placed hope is something or someone that you can trust into the future because they have been faithful in the present, in the past. And they have the power to act in the ways that they claim they're going to be able to. In the Bible, people put uh, hope in all kinds of things. They experience joy in all kinds of things. The effect of well-placed hope is joy. And joy has the ability to make you able to look at circumstances that are contrary to what you expect to have happen and still persist. You can stare at things that don't make you happy and yet persist in joy. Look at verse 4 again with me. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. They're looking at this stuff and they're like, hey, you got us back here, but this place looks like a mess. Those who sow with tears. If you read some of the, the return accounts, when people come back from exile and they show up, Ezra and Nehemiah, you read these, these books, what you see is people are weeping. Because they remember what the temple used to look like and it don't look like that anymore. 
It says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those with them. These people were excited that God had acted on their behalf to set them free. But when it didn't look the way they were supposed to, this was not a time for happiness. I thought, God, you were going to bring us back to the place where you had put us. But it doesn't look right. And people are weeping and they're sad and, and they're wailing. But they had something greater than happiness. They had joy. They had hope that the God who had acted on their behalf in the past was going to act again in the future. And so they knew that was a certainty. And so even though I'm sad in the moment and I look at the circumstances around me, I say, this is not the way it's supposed to be, but I trust because of it. If you want to be a person of joy, you need to place your hope in something that can be counted on, something that has a track record of being able to be trusted. Israel is an accounting of people for whom God has acted faithfully, but God is so good. So you could just read that story and say, well, I guess, so probably it will be good for me. Hope in their stories. That's not really compelling, at least not to me. Maybe it's compelling to you. It's hard for me to put hope in something based on someone else's story. But God is so good that he actually makes a way for you to have your own story. It actually makes a way for you to have your own experience. You see, when God acted on behalf of the Israelites and they showed up back in the land, one of the promises God had made to them is that he would send a king one day who would begin the rule and reign of God, that everything that was wrong would be set. was the promise that Israel was hoping for. And in Jesus, God became a man and he became the king that he promised. In Jesus. And Jesus showed up. And when he came, he didn't just set about restoring things for the Israelites and like saying, well, you know, you guys were born in the wrong land, so sorry for you. Uh, but these guys are the, these are the ones that I actually care about. And so I'm going to restore all things for them. He did some of that work. But he said, this is not just for you. This is for all people. The thing we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus came was that he came not just for me. He came that his story might become our story. That his, his action might actually touch our stories. And when he gave his life to make a way for us to have a relationship with our father, he did that for the people around, but he also did that for all the people who were not around. Jesus broke down the barriers to keep us, that kept us separated from God, and our only role is to receive the invitation to let God be our God, to receive the forgiveness that we've been offered, and to let God be God. That's the invitation. And we might listen to that and go, you know, uh, oh, that's nice, he died for our sins, but guess what? He didn't stay dead. Isn't that good news? There's some joy right there. Rejoice, right? He didn't stay dead. Three days later, he raised to new life. And the promise was that those who surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, those who allowed God to be God, that in the same way that Jesus defeated death, we could experience that as well. And if all that happened, and we captured it in this book, and we wrote it down, and we said, here, read this, 
and have hope. If that's all that happened, hope on someone else's story, right? Now it's not so far back as to be the nation of Israel. Now it's the 2,000 years ago with Jesus and these things that happened in the early church. We would still be basing our hope on someone else's experience of God. But God is better than that. He's even better than that. The offer that God makes to you and me today and every day is to test him and see if he is good. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not just believe that once upon a time this stuff happened. By the power of this Jesus, you and I get to have a present day and to be people who could establish our own history where God has been faithful in our own lives, where God has moved in our own lives, where when we were on the pit of despair, God rescued us. When we were buried in sin and and, and enslaved to addiction, God rescued us. And not only did he rescue us there, when we needed provision, he provided for us. And when we were about to die because of this disease or that diagnosis, he rescued us. And again and again and again and again, God gives us a history So that our hope by the power of the Holy Spirit is not based on reading someone else's story. Our hope is actually based on a real experience of what God has done in our lives so that we can go, his word is good. I know it because I've seen him do it. I've said this before, but I could, like, even if you could prove this whole book was not true, Even if you could prove this whole book is not true, I've had so much experience with Jesus where he has acted in my life that you couldn't take that from me. Even if I couldn't count on this, to be fair, I can. But even if I couldn't, I have seen too much, I have experienced too much of who God is and what he wants to do and what he does in my life that I know his promises are good. And that means I get to have joy. Because I hope in something that's solid. Would that be enough? Wouldn't that be enough? If that was it, hope that you could trust that God was going to do in the future what he says he's going to do. That would be enough. But you know what? God is better than that. You're like, what's better than that? Because of your own experiences with God, these stories actually begin to be your story. Not only do you get to say, I have had experiences that I can trust God based on my own experiences, but you get grafted into the family of God, and these stories become the family story. Some of you don't know how great that is. This whole book is full of people's experiences, and when I join the family of God, my experiences give me an anchor, but I get a whole bunch more too. These stories by the power of the Spirit become your story and my story, and they give us even more solid hope into the future. And all of that begins by saying yes to the invitation of Jesus today. But it doesn't stop there. It continues by saying yes to the invitation of Jesus tomorrow, by saying yes to the invitation of Jesus the next day, and again and again and again. But wait, there's more. But there is in your life so that you can trust him into the future. Not only do you get the family stories, but the Bible says that God pours 
the Holy Spirit on you and he deposits in you joy. That the fruit of the Holy Spirit living in you, the fruit of being immersed in the Holy Spirit is that joy would come naturally. So not only do you have a whole bunch of history, you have hope, but then you get joy poured out into your heart. And you get a paring knife. Not really. You don't get a, I mean, I don't know. I don't have any paring knives. But before I finish, I want to say one more thing. There may be a question that looms in our minds. And I've alluded to it a little bit. How do I have joy when things aren't good? Like, how do I have when I'm living in what feels like the pit of despair? How do I sing the songs of joy when all of the I have seen, not just in this church, but in this church too? One of the challenges that I have seen in the church in the end of, as we draw near to the end of 2023 is that in our desire to be authentic, we have overlooked the idea that joy can coexist with sorrow. Joy can coexist with weeping. Joy can coexist with all of the things that you experience by way of feelings. Joy can't co or, or these it's got to be something deeper. Friends, having joy doesn't mean you don't have sorrows. Having joy doesn't mean that you don't weep or mourn, or grieve. Having joy doesn't mean that you don't go through things that are traumatic and painful. Having joy is something deeper. Having joy is rooted, it's anchored in the hope that you have. And so because I know the hope that I have in God is good, I can rejoice. I can choose to do it because joy is a choice. Joy is a choice to express itself. Joy is a choice in light of the hope, which is a certainty that you have in God. Which means you can rejoice even when things are terrible. I want to finish. I wasn't sure if I was going to share this story, but I think I will. There's a little bit of setup, and so I apologize. Some of you know... December 27th last year, Jeff came in and the back end of the building was just water. We had a radiator crack and, and I was with my family, which is where I always go after Christmas Eve here. Ten hours away, Jeff calls and I think he's messing with me. I'm like, he's like, there's water everywhere and ceiling tiles everywhere. And I'm like, dude, don't mess with me. That's not funny. He's like, no, I'm serious. There's, and I was like, no, pictures. I don't believe you until I see it. He was I would never joke about this. So he sends me these pictures 10 hours away, and I don't know who to call. And you're just making it up as you go along. This is, those of you who are in charge of things know that. Um, somebody calls you, and you're, they're like, you'll know what to do. And you're like, no, I don't know what to do. But who else would I call? So I guess I have to do something. So I start calling around, and we're trying to find somebody who can clean it up. The, the, the plumber gets here, and... and cleans up the, starts to clean up the water, but there's the amount of mess, they're concerned about electrical stuff, all these things. 
And basically what they said is, until you get that cleaned up, we can't do anything else. So we start calling, we start calling, we start calling, trying to find people. And of course, you guys remember, it was ridiculous cold. And all over the city, there were people who had water breaks. And so most people told us they couldn't get here for two weeks, but we found somebody who could get here the next day. I'll get to the office and we'll be, well, then as you remember, some of you remember, they found as they were cleaning up, they found asbestos tile in the floor. And we had been planning on trying to open that back room up. And so we were like, well, this is, this feels like a godsend. They're going to take this stuff out, which means they take all the walls out and we're going to have this big room and it's going to be amazing. And God is doing this thing. You guys remember this? Last year in January, I was like, the Lord is moving on our behalf. I don't get it, but it's happening. And then a whole lot of nothing has happened for most of 11 months. Most of 11 months. When things have happened, they've been sort of fits and starts and all kinds of stuff. And um, as we have gotten further into the project, I don't want to go all the way into it, but um, the person that we had hired to do the work has walked with all the money and the job is just not done. We have no ability to make that happen. On top of that, what we're discovering is some of the things that were done, there were shortcuts made, paperwork not filed, things done. And I don't know about you, but I had this like, God is moving on our behalf. I have not felt happy. I have felt overwhelmed. I have felt run down. I have felt lied to. I have felt cheated. And I have, I mean, the people on our staff are like, you need to take a vacation or something. I have not been happy. But I still have joy. What they say they're going to do. My hope is in the name of the Lord. God has rescued us in this church in the past. God has rescued me and my life in the past. And he has made promises that of what he's going to do in the future. And so my hope is not in anything other than God's good and faithful word and his character. And so in the midst of all the ways that I feel right now, I can praise the Lord. I can worship the Lord. Because joy is a choice based on the hope that you have. You can choose to rejoice even when things are terrible. It's not inauthentic to choose to have joy. It's inauthentic to pretend to be happy when you're not. Friends, we have a hope that is certain. It's trustworthy. God has given us hope. I don't know what you're all going through right now. I don't know what your emotional state is. But what I because our hope is in the Lord who is faithful. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.